1: cincinnati reds and you're up for late night reds talk
2: hello and welcome to a special edition of late night reds talk live part of the believe podcast network sponsored by our friends at bet online Uh, my name is nick kirby Uh, we decided to take this week off from the live show to spend time with family Uh, we thought it'd be a good idea to take a look back at 2021 and some of the highlights of the show I know there are a lot of folks who found our show as the 2021 Red Season was going on. Uh, we believe the show's come a long way in terms of production value, as you will see during tonight's episode. Before we take a look back, I wanted to make sure that I told you about our partner Bet Online. They have a brand new web interface with a ton of props, odds, and lines. Uh, there are five bowl games tomorrow and a bunch of the rest of the week. Uh, our guy Carlos Guevara likes to watch the world burn. So he said to take Alabama at minus 13.5. I have no comment on that. Uh, Tim likes Oklahoma State in their game. They are minus one and a half as uh, I record this. Uh, I'm personally not much of a college football guy, but one bet that I like right now is the college basketball future NCAA tournament champion. Uh, if you're looking for a dark horse, Tennessee at plus 3,500 looks like a good gamble to me. They are ninth right now in Ken Palm. And I think they're probably a legit title contender, um, but we have a great deal for you. Head on over to Bet Online for their updated desktop and mobile website, and sign up today, and you can receive a fifty percent off welcome bonus for your first deposit. Just use our promo code Believe Fifty. That's B L E A V five zero to receive your bonus today. Uh, bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. Bet online where the game starts. Uh, so we wanted to thank everyone who watched and listened to our show uh, and supported us this past year. Uh, it's been a blast to do the show and interact with so many of you. Uh, but let's jump in and, and kind of talk first about how the show started. Uh, I've been friends with Tim Daniel through social media for years and uh, always enjoyed he has a, a really good podcast, 48 Minutes Basketball Network. Uh, they do a great job over there. And uh, Tim asked me, uh, if I'd have any interest in doing a Red show uh, a couple weeks before the season started, and I was, of course, like, yeah, absolutely. Uh, any chance I can get to talk about the Reds, uh, uh, I'm in for that. Uh, so we wanted to make the show an interactive show, kind of do it live. Um, so we started off by using an app called the Locker Room app. and allow people to listen live, and they could actually kind of join in on the conversation with us. Uh, the first episode we did was just a live show. Uh, nothing more. We didn't really record it or anything. There's no... No evidence of how how uh, how awful that sounded. Uh, but we liked doing it, and we thought, hey, let's make this into a podcast. We were able to, to, to download the live show at the end and then make it a podcast. So uh, the podcast version of Late Night Reds Talk uh, started with actually the second show, but it was titled Episode 1 just to uh, make it really confusing uh, for everyone. Uh, the locker room days of the show, they served their purpose uh, to get us off the ground running, but the quality just wasn't really... Uh, good enough long-term, uh, and so I think we've come a little bit uh, since then. But without further ado, here are some highlights of our first couple episodes.
3: All right, guys, so welcome to uh, in the second edition of Late Night Reds Talk with myself and Nicholas Kirby, writer of Red Leg Nation himself. So we made it. We we are now at two. Uh, if I recall correctly, in terms of baseball, if you get two in a row, that's a hitting streak, right?
2: I think so. Sounds good to me.
3: Yeah, I'll take it. So, uh, Nick, I kind of thought this would be a good time since we're now just eight days away from opening day. How beautiful does that sound, by the way? Just 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 so good to hear. Um, maybe we could take this so week and kind of talk about you know, next week we're going to do our big opening day preview, obviously. I want to kind of take some time this week to kind of discuss about how we kind of feel the team fares towards the rest of the division. Um, Obviously, the NL Central's offseason was one that was extremely unique, where you didn't see a ton of teams make a ton of moves, and all of a sudden the Cardinals get Nolan Arenado. Um, You know, some of those big-time Cubs players from their Theo Epstein run are now gone, like Yu Darvish, Kyle Schwarber, so on and so forth, and then... Um, the Pirates are just, I don't know if you can qualify them as a Major League Baseball team right now with all the guys they have, though I am really excited to see Cabrian Hayes play. Um, so, when you kind of look at the division as a whole, you know, everyone seems to think the Cardinals are the favorite. I tend to agree with that uh, at the moment. Um, but there's, you know, there's got to be some optimism for the Reds, especially playing in this division with, like I said, before the Nolan Arenano move, it's like no one really did anything else.
2: Yeah, I mean, so I guess you start with, like, what what happened in 2020. Uh, You know, the Cubs won the division, but the Cubs lost more than anyone else. You know, they lost more than the Reds. Um, I mean, losing Darvish and Bauer is a wash, but then the the Cubs lost um, Lester. Um, um, They lost a lot of other pieces. So um, so I I think that the Reds, just by virtue of not losing as much as them, probably gained some ground on the Cubs – um, the Reds and Cardinals were dead even last year. Um, yeah, the Cardinals technically had that like point zero zero one ahead because they didn't have to play all their games for whatever reason. Um, but yeah, I mean the Reds and Cardinals were dead even. Um, you know, I would say yeah, the Cardinals are probably favorites, but I think it's I think it's slight. I don't think it's uh I don't think this is this this massive gap. Um, I think the Brewers are right there too. I mean the Brewers they were one of the eight playoff teams. They were right in the mix last year. Yeah. Um, the Brewers pitching is really sneaky good. Um, they don't have, like, the, the Luis Castillo, Sonny Gray really at the top. But they're, I think, a lot deeper um, than anyone else in the division. I think the Reds have the best pitching. Um, but the Reds are a little more, I, I feel, top-heavy. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, everyone's like, okay, well, it's just going to be a fight to whoever wins the division. Well, sometimes when you have a weak division, and when you have a team that that is is a real bottom feeder in the Pirates, um, if one of these other NL Central teams um, has a bad year, you know, if, if one of these teams just get decimated by injuries and they're another, you know, uh, 90 loss team, you know, you could see two teams from the NL Central getting in the playoffs just simply out of, you know, someone's, someone's got to win these interdivision games Um so I, I don't think it's, like, crazy to think that, that, that two teams from the Central will will get in. I think there will be at least one one team in the Central fighting for a wild card spot. All right, so that was a sample of the humble beginnings of late-night Reds talk. On April 14th, we had our first national guest. We had Jordan Schuster of Sesame's Barbecue join the show. Here's what he had to say of the big topic of that time, the Nick Castellanos suspension. I know I've seen some of your your takes other places, but I love just your quick take on like kind of the the Castiano situation uh, with the Cardinals.
4: <laughs> oh, oh yeah. So my my general my general opinion on that whole thing was, what him getting suspended was just a nature of literally the the weirdness of the play itself. If it was if he had done what he did, which is say you know. I don't know. Can we curse on this thing? Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If mean, if he, we, we see players saying let go all the time, all over the field. That's, that's not, people aren't getting suspended for that. It's just by the nature of the weird play, he happened to be standing right over him where he looked extremely aggressive and like in his face, <laughs> but it's not like he ran over to the dugout. Or ran up to Woodford, standing on the mound, and was like, "Let's go!" It was just the nature of where he was, right? So, yeah, it looked aggressive. And if they do, if they did change the rules about taunting, like I can see why they would, you know, make that. But it sucks because, like, that's just the kind of thing that MLB is usually trying to promote more of. And so, then to punish him for that is absurd. Um, I my favorite part of the whole thing was like, I mean, his quote about Yadi Molina after. And you could tell too in the moment, it, it was funny because in the moment, I remember watching it live. I, I don't know where I was, but I like got home and turned the game on, and within five seconds, this is what happened. So it was like I was very disoriented. So I, because I, cause I had like missed the hit by pitch, so I was like very confused as to why stuff was popping off just from this play. But, but you could see even in the minutes after Molina talking to Castellanos and it was so it was hilarious. And it was like, you could tell Cassianos was like, I'm not going to get mad at Yachty, you know, like, come on, like <laughs> let's be realistic here. You could tell Yachty was like, look, man, Jake Woodford stinks. Like, what do you want me to do? Like, I can't, <laughs> like, sorry. Like, it's just, it's, he's out there because we're losing and he's not like, that's the whole point. Like, sorry. You know, and I know it looked like it was more intentional. Like maybe it wasn't intentional. Maybe it wasn't. I don't really care about that. I, I don't find it interesting to litigate that stuff. Um, but, uh, But yeah, I mean, those generally the baseball fights like that are always very silly. So it is what it is, but it is ridiculous that he got suspended.
2: All right. That was Jordan Schuster of Cespedes Barbecue. A few episodes after that, Carlos actually joined the show full time to give us a tiny bit of credibility. A little behind the scenes of late night Reds talk uh, and how the live video came to be. Tim was able to get Ben Verlander of Fox Sports on the show. Uh, but Ben wasn't able to use the Locker Room app and asked if we could use Zoom. Uh, we were like, yeah, sure. Why, why not? Yeah, we'll we'll try that. Uh, but we wanted to keep the show live. We like kind of being able to interact with the people that that listen to us. Uh, so we live streamed it on YouTube. And at the end of it, we're like, hey, this was actually pretty cool. We kind of like that. So uh, we decided from there on out to use video. And uh, I would think it was kind of a nice change for uh, uh, for the show. And I think kind of helped. Make the show what it is today. Uh, here's a clip from Ben Verlander when he joined us.
3: We've talked about these guys overperforming, underperforming this night. You know, obviously, one name who's kind of popped up is e. Eugenio Suarez, um, another former Tiger prospect. And- yeah, I was
5: close with Suarez. I, I like him a lot. He's uh, we my first uh, my first season in the in the off season. We were, I was down there in the instructional league, and, and him and I were together. And I love that guy. He's he's a great guy.
3: So you've seen him play shortstop like before the big leagues.
5: <laughs> yes. I yeah. When I was when I was in instructional league with him, he was playing shortstop, yeah.
3: Was it like this?
5: Um it was it was I would say he was a good fielder, but there was often times where he would come up to throw to first and you it was fifty-fifty where it was going. Um and then, you know, and then he moved over to third and, and became better so look i i he's not i don't think he's a he's cut out to be a a big league shortstop i think he does fit better over at third base but you got to do what you got to do but i do know the guy rakes and um it's it was frustrating to see him get off to the start that he did because um we all know what what type of hitter he can be he's an all-star caliber uh player and and he didn't start off the year that way
2: All right, that was Ben Verlander of Fox Sports. On June 16th, the Reds had won six straight games and were the hottest team in baseball. We were blown away that John Sadak agreed to come on our silly show for what we believe was the first time he did a Reds fan podcast. Uh, John actually came back on the show again later in the season, Uh, but this episode was extra special because John told us a little bit about how he came to the Reds and showed us just how special the job was to him. If you by chance missed that episode, I definitely would encourage you uh, to go back and listen to it. Uh, This was the June 16th episode with John Sadak.
3: You mentioned like during the pandemic, you know, you struggled to find work. You were just basically running and doing exercise to be sane. And you sent tape and information and letters to all 30 MLB teams. What was that process like for you? Just trying to get your, just get your name out there for teams to hopefully give you a call. And thank God it was the Reds.
1: Um, Well, I mean, to be honest, I'd done it before. I mean, I've done it multiple times. I did it when I was in the minors. At one point, I did it annually for at least three or four years in a row, um, generally with no response. The, the other thing you don't know, and I still wouldn't know now, like who is the contact person with every individual team? Is it somebody in the front office? Is it somebody with their TV rights holder, their radio rights holder? Is it um, a VP level executive? Is there a gatekeeper you have to go through first? You really don't know. So if you're, you're trying to, Find people's names and titles and stories where people talk about previous transitions and broadcasting and who gets quoted, who gets attributed, and you're just blind selling yourself. It's like cold call sales, Um, and often without knowing that there's an actual job. Um, And I wrote the Reds that, it was probably that July or August, um, before there was any form of opening or possibility of an opening, just, just to try to get on the radar. Um, and, and really, that's the purpose. The purpose was just try to connect with somebody, try to forge some kind of a line of communication and maintain it. And then stuff happens, you know, like uh, these are, these jobs are so awesome. They're great. I mean, like everybody wants a job like this. You sit, talk about sports for a living. It's, it's amazing. Uh, they're Supreme Court justice appointments, you know, like people get this job and unless they die or something horrible happens generally they don't electively leave you know you don't say you know what i'm good i'm gonna go do something what are you gonna do
6: what what is a better job than this yeah um so talk to me about the you know the call or the, how did it happen did you get an email the call like i mean i just kind of you hear big leaguer stories about their call i mean I, you know i'm just interested to see how it was for you how was that day would you share it with
1: so uh, with this amazing opportunity with the Reds, I, I would say there were, there were several progressions that, of note. So the first was I did most of my college basketball off a monitor in North Jersey. And uh, CBS would put me up in a hotel in North Jersey, not too far from our studio, because I would usually have games of back-to-back days or three games in four days or whatever. Driving back and forth would be too much. Um, so I was in that hotel. I called a college hoops game the night before. I had another one that coming night. My agent called and asked, how would you like to interview for the Reds' television job? And when that first, so when when you're talking about interview, you don't know, they don't really tell you you're one of three, five, 10, whatever, but you know you're in a fairly small group from whatever the sample size was. So you you got a shot, you got a legitimate swinging chance. Um, To be honest, when I first got that call, I was, my, my response was like, yeah, And that was in no means a disrespect to the Reds or Cincinnati. It was the opposite. I've been really close with multiple other jobs like this before. And every other time I knew a major decision maker that had my back, that got me into that group. And then when he calls about the Reds, I'm like, I I don't know anybody. I don't know anyone with the Reds or in Cincinnati. So even if I've gotten to this point, I was convinced that I had a great chance if I didn't have any one of those prior jobs. And in several of those occasions, you know, I'm calling my parents, I'm calling my my high school best friend, I'm calling my college buddies, and and it didn't happen. And it didn't happen. And it didn't happen. And it becomes this, you know, you, you dread the rejection. You get so scared of the no that, to be honest, I didn't tell that many and I also I really didn't think I was going to get it I don't know anybody this would be great experience let's go through the process but clearly somebody's going to know somebody more connected than me and I'm just here as the obligatory we want to talk to three five whatever it is and I'm that third fifth tenth person Um, I went through the process I had three different uh, interviews they all went incredibly well with each progressive one I did start to think I might actually have a chance of this, that this could actually happen. And I finally got the call again. I was actually about to record an open for a college basketball game. I'm in the studio with my partner. We're minutes away from taping this thing. And I get a call from my agents, excuse me, ask the producer, can I step out for a second? And he calls and says, you've got the offer. Like they want to hire you. Like, Oh my God. It, uh, it really, it makes me emotional. Think about it. Um, it, it was really cool. It was, uh, I called my wife. We had the shortest, most emotional phone call that I've ever had because I had to record the open. Like he said, yeah, you got two minutes. (laughs) We got to go to work. (laughs) So I called her and she wanted to make small talk. And I had to say like, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm sorry, but I I just need to get this out. I told her, you know, she started crying. She was super excited. And uh, yeah, and then I went back in and I did the game. It was, wow, that was really cool. And then uh, that, that whole drive home, I'm calling people that I know um to to let them know that are you know within my circle my dad my mom my brother um it it was really special
7: joining us this
3: week you can check her out the Cincinnati Inquirer also with Q102 uh this is Miss Lindsay Patterson Lindsay welcome to Late Night Reds Talk how you doing
8: I'm good everything's going really well right now for the Reds so I'm I'm doing good joined by you guys
3: yeah we're glad to have you here um I know the first thing we want to get to is uh you told us before you got on the air you're uh the big hype for the reds so obviously you're excited about this season so far what are you feeling from watching this ball club so far this season
8: oh my goodness where can you go and i think that's one of the biggest things obviously everybody that's on here has followed the team for a really long time there's a lot of ups and downs and all the buying and selling talk but i think what's really cool about this team right now is you can look at the rookies, you can look at some of the vets, the OGs out there, and there's just a lot of excitement when it comes to all the players all around. So there's so many things to point to, but I think just like the rookies performance and production right now has been something really fun to see for the fan base.
3: Coming off this last weekend, you know, they had the Brewers series they take three or four there. Uh, what was your reaction to seeing what the team did that series and getting ready for this next one coming up?
8: You know, it's crazy because going into that series, I think a lot of people, any Cincinnati sports fan would look at it and say, there's no way they're going to take three or four when we really need them. I said, we, I don't play for the Reds. I take that back. When they, I, I know how people feel about we. It's okay. we are we? we are we? Yeah, where, we
2: have,
3: where are we show?
2: And okay. we have Carlos. Carlos is in the Reds minor league system. So we actually can legitimately say we. Okay. I'm for sorry. Carlos,
8: we, I'm speaking for him too. Uh, I think <laughs> you look at that and, Seriously, just going into it. I know they have another big series coming up at home with the Brewers, but you looked at it and and everything against the NL West and how they struggled with the Padres series. There's no way they're going to catch up with the first place team in the NL Central and do what they were able to do. And four games, it's not a lot when you have the first place team coming to Great American Ballpark. So I think for them to actually do it, when you really wanted them to take three or four, and I thought if you could split, that's a win-win situation. I would have probably taken it before the series. So. To be able to take three of Flora, I think that's just crazy because you don't always get what you wish for when you're a Reds fan.
3: Isn't that the truth? Especially when Peralta's got a no-hitter through five innings and you still pull that one off. Yep. You get Brandon Woodruff, who's awesome, and you managed to get to him. You score a run in the first inning. Uh, so, yeah, it was definitely exciting. It was a lot of fun. How would you enjoy the all-star festivities? Not only Castellanos and Winkers getting in the game, but Jose Brewer and Nick Ladola doing their thing in the Futures game.
8: There's a lot of excitement. I mean, goodness, I, I, I talked about the rookies before, but you even look younger than that in the future of the Cincinnati Reds. You have to be just excited to know what's about to happen with this team. And then obviously Nick Castellanos, I, I've already said it plenty of times, build the statue at Great American Ballpark. He's so exciting. I've used him as a comparison and I'm sorry to bring in a little bit of football in here, but but Joe Burrell, um, he's just He gets fans excited. He has that swagger, and that's what you see from Nick. And then obviously Jesse Winker, that stuff is really exciting. You know, obviously want to see him produce a little more in the All-Star game, but it's all about fun. It's all about fun and, and making it there. And I think it was really cool to see him on the national stage. And I feel like they're just getting started with what they're going to be able to do in the second half of the season. Those guys look like they're having a really good time. And I just hope uh, they can stay on this roster for for a few years to come.
2: All right. That was part of a really fun interview with Lindsey Patterson during the All-Star break. The next clip comes from C. Trent Rosecrans talking about his King Griffey Jr. story. We had him on the show on July 21st.
3: Uh, One of the stories I remember you wrote that I really liked and I wanted to kind of touch on is you did an article, a story on Griffey, Griffey Jr., the year mm-hmm. he got inducted in Cooperstown, you talked about you were going through some, that your mom was going through some stuff, and you went to Ken, and he kind of helped you out with a bunch of stuff with that. Do you remember kind of that process of like having that conversation and starting that story, like he was getting inducted?
0: So, okay, that's funny. Um, the, the story that I wrote um, was about several years earlier, me going to Ken and just knowing that his mom had had colon cancer. And my mom had just gotten diagnosed with colon cancer. And he was the only one I know, I knew, who had, who had dealt with this. And so we were in spring training. I said, hey, Ken, you got a minute. And he said, what? Because he could tell us something was, 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 was up. I I've, I've, I've still have a really good relationship with Ken. Um, I like Ken a lot. Um, we talk occasionally. Um, so that day, you know, he sat me down and talked. And he gave me his mom's phone number and says, give this to your mom. Um, so yeah, so it was one of those things that I had never written that story. It didn't feel like it was mine to share. Um, and it wasn't, it was one of those things that, and, and, and I've known this through the years, when you're talking about guys at that level, you don't know all the stuff that they do that they don't do it to get attention and they would actually prefer you not. I mean, Carlos won't go into detail on this, but Joey Votto does a ton for other people. And he doesn't want people to know that because that's not why he's doing it. Um, Ken Griffey Jr. the Same way. But it was funny. I um, had flown in because um, Ken Ken let me we, – we, of course, know the day that they're going to announce the Hall of Fame. And I had reached out to Ken and said, hey – would it be possible for me to be there when you when you get the call? And he said yes, and he invited me. So I was in his kitchen when he got the call. No kidding! Oh, that's yeah. awesome. It, it, it's I mean, it's pretty cool. It, it's it's it, it's really really cool. Um, so I'm in his kitchen. Um, but like I just anyway, okay. This is one of those crazy things. Um, I was on because it was right after New Year's of I guess, 15, 16. Um, we had long had a um, vacation planned for, I guess it wouldn't have been my parents' 50th anniversary because we did that not too long ago. Was, I think it was when my dad was retiring. My sister, it, we basically, we took a cruise, um, all our, both our families, you know, well, my fam, my parents, my sister and her family and me and my wife and daughter. And, um so it was one of those things where it's like I had that vacation, and then the Bengals. I was at the Enquirer at the time, and the Bengals uh, were playing a Monday night game in, or no, Sunday night game in Denver, and they asked me if I could help out. I said only if I can go from instead of flying from Cincinnati to Denver back to Cincinnati, if I go Cincinnati, Denver to to Orlando. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But what happened was because of all that other stuff, I had to pack in the middle of December for Denver to Orlando to the Bahamas to Orlando to New York because when they do the hall of fame they do like a hey, we're going to call you and then the next day you go up I could book the flight to New York because I was pretty sure King Griffey Jr. was getting in um and and so so yeah so that was a hell of a packing job I had to do Uh, for mid-December for all those places, December, January. Um, So anyway, long story, long story, less long, but still long. Um, I am in the Starbucks waiting to go because Ken said, you know, be at my house at this time. And so I'd kind of gotten in, i gotten kind of near his house and was sitting there writing and working on some other stuff. And I was talking to my friend, Mark Lancaster. Mark covered the reds for the Cincinnati post right before I did. Um, but Mark and I went to college together. He's one of my oldest and best friends. Um, we, you know, I, I had two best men in my wedding. I had two people in my wedding, two groomsmen and Mark was one of them. Um, I was the best man in his wedding, that kind of thing. And, and, and Mark is in that story because he and junior were tight as well. And he knew them anyway and he had mentioned something junior had mentioned something to mark about my mom i think it was one of my kickers. i don't think it was the kicker but it was in it was in that story but mark's like have you ever written about ken and your mom have you ever written that story i was like no i don't know and he goes y- you need to and this is this is probably the time so i was like really and so i had like an hour and i just banged it out and wrote it and said hey this will be something we can use this whenever. And they're like, no, no, you, you want to, <laughs> we, we want that. That's, that's part of this whole thing. So I did, that was my first, uh, I did a couple stories that day, but that was one of them. And, and that was basically like, I didn't, I was wary of writing that because it felt kind of personal, but I f- Ken or uh, Mark kind of like nudged me towards it and said, no, I, I think this is the right time for that. And um, because all the other stories are going to be the same. This is one and enough time has passed that I think it's okay. And so, yeah, so that was kind of what it was is, I had that story in the back of my head and Mark knew about it and we had talked about it and he, he said, you, you, you should probably write it. So I wrote it and it turned it's pretty out cool. pretty good. I, it was funny. Like I just came up on my memories or whatever, because uh, this was about however many years ago six years or so it was five years ago that, um, this was the weekend to, if Cooperstown, the induction. And um, so it popped up on my memories. The Seattle Times asked if they could run that story, republish it. And the Enquirer said, yeah, sure. Um, so it was in their section as well. So that it ran both in January in the Inquirer and then in July in, um, in, in the Seattle Times.
2: That was C. Trent Rosecrans talking about his famous King Griffey Jr. story. Hey everyone, I wanted to tell you about one of the partners of the Believe Podcast Network, Lightbox. Say goodbye to dull gifts. Lightbox lab-grown diamonds are the brightest gifts of the year. Using cutting-edge technology and innovative techniques, they've cracked the science of sparkle, creating the highest quality lab-grown diamonds you will ever find. At a light price, $800 per carat. They have the same chemical makeup of natural diamonds, but are just as grown in a lab. Because of their process, they can create stones in a blush pink and beautiful blue, as well as classic white. Lightbox lab-grown diamonds are the gift they'll, they'll never want to take off, price, so they won't have to. They really do make any outfit sparkle. Visit lightboxjewelry.com to add sparkle to your holiday shopping. That's lightboxjewelry.com. Lightbox diamonds, never a dull moment. We have been wanting to have Ryan Castellanos on the show for a while and we were finally able to make that work on July 28th. Ryan did not disappoint.
9: Um, to go on with somebody else who's been very impressive, who I am a 100% stand for, is Kyle Farmer. I think Kyle Farmer single-handedly uh, kept this infield together uh, because of the injuries to Moose, the injuries to um, Senzel. The fact that you can put him in on shortstop and you can get very good defense from him it doesn't even matter what he does at the plate because shortstop is a defensively premium position. And when you have a team like the Reds who are amongst the top in the National League in a lot of offensive categories, and you can have a guy like Farmer who you can stick there every day and be dependent on to give you good defense, that is completely invaluable. And I would really wonder where we would be right now without Farmer at short especially with the injuries that we've had. And obviously Gino being at short, that was kind of an experiment that we've kind of gotten away from. So really ask yourself, what, where would we be right now without Farmer? Nick, what, what point point
3: your, he, Nick I know you're very pro
9: he's done well,
6: obviously He's done well as of late, but I don't think it's a top priority to go get a shortstop right now. I wouldn't, I mean, I was looking at Trevor Story's numbers, especially like the splits. That's somebody who's being talked about a lot. And I don't know if that's worth it right now at this point. It's almost like a gamble, like maybe go fifth starter, another dominant reliever over that. I mean, like like you said, I mean, usually it's catcher (laughs) and shortstop where you can be okay. Just give me something defensively. And their catchers are are killing it offensively. So you can take that, you know, the – the average hitter or slightly below average at uh, at shortstop I and mean, from what he's been so far, but I mean, hopefully he keeps moving the way he is right now.
9: Yeah. But remember the, the batting average in the league is low. So his average is up to what? 240 something right now. Yeah. And t- today's 244 was five years ago, 285. So <clears throat> he's already creeping up there in terms of average, but yeah. once ag- but once again, that's not the value that he's bringing to this team. So anything that he does offensively, I think, is just icing on the cake. And remember, he's doing this all while injured because yeah. he his dream was to be a shortstop in the in major leagues. And the Dodgers weren't having any of that. They wanted him to be a catcher. So he tooled his body to be a catcher. And then now that he's sniffing the opportunity to be a shortstop, he's completely taken that and run with it. Uh, there was, I read reports about how he lost all this weight. He became, you know, in the best shape of his life. And now he's taking his one opportunity that he has to be a starting shortstop for a team. And he is literally giving this team everything they could have hoped for. And I would say a little bit more.
2: Yeah, I mean, I would say, yeah, I mean, Kyle Farmer is by far the best shortstop option right now for the Reds. Um, um, I mean, he turned what was an absolute ryan you said a very nice it was a disaster with suarez it,
9: it was an experiment <laughs>
2: <laughs> um i mean suarez was like you know we're talking it was like minus 12 outs above <clears throat> average and and that was like in less than half the time that Farmer has played and farmers plus three right now mm-hmm. um so i mean he just completely turned what was an absolute disaster into at least um uh, yeah I think he's been about probably about a, a league average shortstop but for a guy that's a catcher that's incredibly impressive um I don't know I would I would caution you know people not to you know think that what Kyle Farmer's done in July is is going to continue Um, I mean, he's he's had a good season. He's got a 93 weighted runs created plus that's seven percent below league average for a shortstop. That's good. Um, I I don't know. I, I, he's definitely, he definitely could play every day against left handed pitching. He has really good splits against left handed pitching, but against right handed pitching throughout his career, it's, I don't know. The Reds need to improve. There's, there's, remember, they're in a seven game hole right now. So right. where it, it really at this point is where can you improve um, and, and what are the options? Um, I think Trevor Story is a massive upgrade. I don't really care what his numbers say this year.
6: Um, he's a, well, a, you can't yeah. just you can't just use Kyle Farmer's numbers against him and then not use Trevor Story's against him. I was using Kyle Farmer's career
2: numbers against him, and he's never he's played terms. every day. I I, I mean, I, who would that you bet? Who would who time. would you bet on? Who would you bet on do, to to have? better overall numbers uh from august 1st to the end of the year that's how that's how you have to view
9: it gamble, Nick. <laughs> I mean, but, but so, that's, how, that's how you have to view it so I, I i would agree with you that i even though i'm i'm sitting here saying that kyle farmer needs to be appreciated more i'm not saying that trevor story wouldn't be an upgrade i'm not saying treya turner wouldn't be an upgrade of course they would but I, what I am saying is that if we're going to spend more resources to upgrade this team, I don't think that that's the, the, the spot that we need. So uh, Nick, I, I have a question for you because people in my chat were uh, we're bringing you up and talking oh, about you a little bit in Twitch chat. Um, <clears throat> how do you stay so positive all the time on Twitter? You no, know, oh, it's like- easy.
2: The red, the reds have sucked for my entire life. Like, come on. Like I, I have, I witnessed some of the worst seasons, like 2016, like, like, come on, the Reds are above 500 and it's almost August. Like, I don't know. It's just when you've, when you've been a fan of a team that has been bad, like, I mean, the Reds have like nine winning seasons. I'm 34. Like, you know, like, I don't know. I mean, I can let a lot of things slide when, when they're, um, you know, and they're good and, and honestly for the most part um, I like the direction that the the front office is in um, um, the the Reds for a long time were kind of like this anti analytical team they had guys that were uh, like 310 on base guys batting first and second and they've completely yeah <clears throat> <slept. throat> <laughs> They, they, they've completely, you know, flipped a lot of their thinking. So from my perspective, I think they're doing most things the right way. There's still things I don't agree with, but for the most part, they've, they've changed, they've overhauled their pitching development. There's, there's so many things to like about what the Reds are doing. Um, but that on top of, I mean, just they're, they're both like, if you can't enjoy this, why are you a fan of the team? That was the one and only Ryan Castellanos. We capped off an incredible stretch of five straight weeks with a big time guest with Mo Eger on August
10: 4th. The other part of it is that this has been the first year and you guys see it all the time on, on social media. um, This has been the first year uh, since I've been doing radio that we've talked extensively about the role of ownership in, in the, the construction of the club. And that's been an interesting juxtaposition that, that it's, It's a team that people like. It's an ownership group that people are uh, distrustful of and, and that they're not, uh, that they're skeptical of and that they are very critical of. And, you know, there's, I have always, I've always, you know, in, in doing the, the job that I have, whenever anything goes wrong with the Bengals, whenever anything goes wrong, it doesn't matter what it is. There are people who default to let's blame Mike Brown. And sometimes that criticism is, is earned, uh, sometimes it's overboard, uh, but I've always felt like you know this this guy, no matter what happens, can't get a break. And then I don't know that Bob Castellini has been a terrible owner. I don't. I, I certainly don't view him as a sinister man who's, you know, sat up in his office for 15 years, firing people left and right. You know, doing everything he can to 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 you know put pennies together at the same time, the performance of the club over his 15 years has been underwhelming relative to what the expectations were when he bought the team and what they did this off season did have a direct impact on the on-field fortunes of this year's team. And people have noticed and they're angry. And, and, and even if they're not angry, they're again, skeptical of and mistrustful. And that's where the blame goes, you know, uh, we've talked less about the role of David Bell and, and and sometimes less even about the team itself. And when everything, whenever anything goes wrong, the finger gets pointed right or wrong uh, at team ownership. And again, I think some of the criticisms are very valid. I, I think some go drastically overboard, but you're always going to have that, that sort of contrast has been really interesting to me because in years past, and I think this is probably true around baseball in years past. When the, the Reds haven't been very good and God knows there's been a ton of years like that, the finger gets pointed at uh, the system, economic disparities in the sport, uh, bad players, bad manager, whatever. we don't talk about ownership and this year it's look, the players are fine. the people running the club are doing everything they can to put a good product on the field. We don't know about this owner uh, and that has been that's been very very interesting to to watch unfold.
2: That was Cincinnati Red sports talk legend Mo Eager. Next up is Charlie Walters of Reds Live. He was a really fun interview and told us about how he commutes to GABP from San Francisco.
3: You are, as you say in your Twitter bio, 513 born and raised. You work for the Reds and fly in for Reds Live to work with Sam LeCure and Chris Welsh. You also work in San Francisco, Sacramento area, going back and forth between up and down the Bay. Um, how? How? is really the question. How do you do all these things, Charlie? And, like, what does your sleep schedule look like?
11: Um, I get my eight hours of sleep. I, I make sure I get my beauty sleep in there. But it all started – I've been with the Reds now for three years. Unless you're a diehard Reds fan, you probably don't even know. I was the down-on-the-farm, like, minor league reporter for Reds Live 2019, the year we had Yasiel Puig. So I went down to double a Chattanooga. I did a story on Tyler Stevenson. I did a story on, uh, who else did I do TJ Friedel who happens to be cousins with coach Cal and Sean and Archie Miller. So he had the basketball bloodline. And that was a cool story. Um, did a story on Taylor Trammell before he got traded. He was the number one prospect at the time, Michael Ciani down in Dayton, a story on all the consecutive, sellouts that Dayton had in general. So I was all over the place, went to AAA, did a story on Aquino and O'Grady right before they got the call-ups. Um, but you probably didn't, unless you caught pretty much every single Reds game, you may not know I exist because I was on, you know, four or five Reds live shows tops that year. Last year, they extended it to 30, 40 games. But with the pandemic, I got prorated down to 10 games. So if you watched some of the series last year, you may have been like, who the hell is this guy? Um, <laughs> So I stepped in there. I was working in Lexington at the time as a sports anchor for the NBC affiliate there. So it was an easy commute. Like you said, I am Cincinnati, born and raised, lived there for the first 22 years of my life. Um, so my fiance, actually, at the time, girlfriend, got a job in San Francisco working as a sports caster out here. She was a news anchor in Lexington and said, I want to, you know, I'm tired of covering depressing fires all the time I wanted to get into sports and do what you do so I helped her with a tape and she of course makes a market jump about 60 spots into a top six market in the country and moves out to San Francisco my contract was up in Lexington I said I'm going to take a gamble I'm going to move out to San Francisco and see what happens during a pandemic nonetheless knowing that there was a good chance that the Reds were going to ask me to come back this year and I figured out when that day came so I moved out here first four months I was out here I was doing a little bit of everything. I worked for a moving company for a week before I found out that I didn't want to work for a moving company. I sold some shoes at Dick's for a month during the holiday season where I could get some hours in the morning. I was personal training for a little bit because I had my license from way back when. Um, So I was doing a little bit of everything until finally in March, right before the red season began, a friend from Sacramento that works at CBS hit me up and said, Hey, what are you doing out of the game right now? Like, you know, but there were no sports. So, I mean, it was tough to get a gig. She said, what are you doing? And I ended up getting in there, getting freshening up the, the repertoire before I came back for the Reds um, was with the Reds the first month of the season while BG was doing hockey. So I, that, that was the majority of my games. And then after I went back to San Francisco in May, I've been flying back and forth for select series here and there that are all picked out before the season began. Um, we tried to get about two homestead or a homestand, you know, two series in a row, so I could get six games. But lately, it's been more three, so I'm flying back and forth for the three game sets. But we're in a playoff push, man. And then the, and then the San Francisco job just happened in the last few months. Um, they reached out and saw that I was doing it's owned and operated just like the Sacramento one, so. They poached me away from Sacramento, so now I'm working closer to home. But, yeah, a lot of uh, frequent air miles, long story short, flying back and forth. Uh, For example, last week when I came back for the – what series was it? The Marlins series. I took a red eye on Thursday, got in Friday, Saturday, Sunday, worked, immediately got on a red eye back on Sunday, and then had um, anchoring in San Francisco Monday night. So a lot of traveling, a lot of airtime, which I can't complain about. So
3: uh, this is Mr. Ryan Castellanos, who has become one of us in his time in Cincinnati. So, buddy, we're happy to have you back. I know this is a brutal game, um, but for those who are now just now joining us on YouTube, you brought a surprise with you to the show. Yes, I did.
9: And uh, I, I was hoping I could use it on a Reds win, as I so uh, boldly predicted, Unfortunately, we came up just short, but our boy Kyle Farmer did hit a home run today. So, uh, just to celebrate that with our boy Nick Kirby, who we all know is the biggest fan of Kyle Farmer. Uh, here we go. Quick celebrate. Eighth inning home run to tie the game by the shortstop himself. As it literally stops working. <laughs>
2: Bruh. And if that's not an omen for the if Reds that's metaphor, season at the current
9: yeah. <laughs> <time>. <laughs> Hold on. This is it, awesome. it, it, it might be overheating from the pregame hype. Please don't start a fire. Listen, the, the whole world is burning right now after the Reds lost, so it's, a house fire is the last of our worries.
3: That we can
9: you'll, just be, you'll
6: just be sitting there saying, oh, this is fine. There
3: we go. Hey! We're back. We're back. Kyle Farmer.
9: hey i don't know the lyrics i really don't know the lyrics i want to sing but i don't know the lyrics
2: that was ryan castellanos who came on for a second time we officially joined the believe podcast network on october 20th we debuted our new show in style and our partnership with some sponsors We felt this was a good way to cover some costs of equipment and producing the show at a higher quality. We never wanted to ask our viewers for money and always wanted to keep the show and everything with it free. Our first guest under the new partnership with Believe was Joel Luckup.
3: What is going on, everybody? I hope you enjoyed all our new cool gadgets. Welcome to Late Night Red's Talk Live. It is Wednesday night, and you know what that means. A very fun evening. Our debut... On the Believe Podcast Network, last week we had your pal John Sadek on, big friend of the program. we are, that guy. We're, that yeah. Guy. And I asked him I – mean, you might have saw in the highlight clip Nick put together for last week's episode. I mm-hmm. asked him if you actually have like a database or if you know everything off the top of your head. And he said that you know everything that you display off the top of your head. Can you confirm this fact?
12: That, that is so <laughs> much. That is so much – so you know what's funny is – Anytime I do one of these little interviews or podcasts, I always worry that somebody's going to want me to tell them my favorite stat off the top of my head. Let's be honest. I, I look stuff up. I mean, I always, I always am looking stuff up. Um, the advantages that I have is I'm pretty fast at looking stuff up. And, uh, and like John said, I'm, I'm pretty good at anticipating what needs to be looked up. Um, Mm -hmm. And so that's, I think, what, you know, what I'm pretty good at. Uh, but otherwise, I, I mean, yeah, I know a lot of Red's history and I know um, a lot. Uh, I, I have an advantage that because it's my job. I can spend time paying attention to things that people don't have time to s- sit around and pay attention to. So I get a lot of esoteric data and, and statistics that um, that other people don't don't even think to look up because, you know, they don't. They don't pay that close in detail to the to what's going on with the team.
3: Without giving away all your secrets and tricks of the trade, is a lot of it like fan graphs and baseball reference? Do you
12: go deeper than like Baseball Savant? <laughs> um, I don't do a lot of Baseball Savant because in my experience, the context of the stuff that comes from Baseball Savant um, depends on the announcer wanting to be able to say it because it's not something that you can just plop down in front of a guy now i mean if they're talking about uh you know somebody's velocity or you know hey this guy's been hitting the ball well lately then i might go and look up something relevant to that um but i don't um i don't typically use a lot of baseball savant unless the unless they ask me to look up something for them it's not that i don't like the site it's just that you know if i if i gave somebody a note that's um you know the last Ten pitches that he's hit have been, you know, whatever. I don't know. Um, it it depends on whether or not that's something they want to talk about. And so I I, I don't tend to go. There. It's a lot of baseball reference. Um, I do have a Retro Sheet database on my computer uh, that I use for searching. Um, I uh, also have access to Sport Radar through uh, through their job uh, through the work. So. Um, those three together are pretty much what I do most of my research on. And it just depends on the nature of the question. Um, they each have their strengths and they each have some deficiencies. And so they kind of fill it. Each of the three little, uh, databases kind of fill in the gaps.
2: That was Joel Luckup back on October 20th. We had the pleasure of Devin Mezzarocco joining the show the following week. Devin was a really cool interview and gave some interesting insight into his time in Cincinnati.
3: You're taking batting practice that day with the Reds. And then you find out you got traded for Matt Harvey and you pinch hit that night against the Reds. What was that day like for you? You
7: guys got a lot of good clips. I need to (laughs) get a a mixtape of my, uh, my whole career. You guys are making me feel good. But anyway, uh, so I had kind of heard, that something was in the works uh jay bruce and todd frazier were with the mets at the time so i guess the day before or two days before when the series started they called those guys in and said hey you know what do you think about this miserocco guys he see a bum in the clubhouse will everybody like (laughs) him? whatever i don't know what they asked uh but they they uh brought those guys in and asked them some questions and then they those guys told me hey you know they might be trading for you let's you know something might be happening here so I was kind of aware of it and so you show up to the park and obviously the team doesn't really tell you anything uh and it was it was kind of a weird day as I was going out there and we hadn't been playing very good at the time so I was kind of hoping that I would get traded the Mets had a better record and were competing at that time so I was kind of excited about it. And, uh, you just kind of wait, you just wait around, wait for it, get ready to play. Uh, what probably happened is they had to go through my medical records and that could have took them, you know, that was an hour long process, hours, just through all the stuff that they had as far as all my injuries. And, uh, they finally came and said, Hey, you got to go talk to the, the skip and the GM they're in Rick Stowe's office. And they said, I've been traded. And, you're going to be playing for them tonight. And all right, perfect. I was, I was excited. You know, it was cool. I'm pretty easy going. So grab up all my stuff and head over to the other locker room. That was it. Uh, it they, they sent out the rest of my stuff to my house in Cincinnati. And then I was with the Mets. It was cool. It was, it was very surreal getting to a bat that night. Uh, that was the weirdest thing I had played over. Or I'd been over there and then I, I didn't want to pinch hit that night. Like, Hey, give me a day. You know, let me, let me process this, but it, all right, let's get you a pinch hit. You're going to play tomorrow. I didn't even have any blue gear. You know, <laughs> I had no bladding. It was just like, Oh, uh, you're going to have me hit today. I don't think it was even the big spot. Like it wasn't like, it was just, all right, go ahead and hit so you can get in it back. Uh, so that was very weird. The, it, and this is a good story, but the, the next morning, I showed up, I was ready to play. I was catching Zach Wheeler. And um, I don't know how they got the word over to me, but Mr. Castellini wanted to talk to me uh, before the game, which is kind of weird because you have your processes and, you know, you got to get ready to play and do all this and that. And so like, it was even after BP, like it was like when I was supposed to be out there with the pitcher, he called me up. I guess that's when he was around and he called me up into his big office, which I had never been to, right? Even when I signed my contract and they gave me the, the money, I hadn't been up there for that. But he called me up there after they traded me. And he was very gracious. And, you know, he, it was just, thank you for your time with the Res. I really enjoyed you being here. Uh, it, it was a very special moment and something that I'll never forget. And I think it kind of exemplifies, you know, the kind of person that he is in the, the way that he treats people. It, it was really cool to have him say that the reason that, He said that they wanted to trade me because it was going to be more beneficial for me. I was going to get more of a chance to play. They had Tucker over there. We're kind of, you know, he was playing more at that time. Uh, It was a very special thing for him to do and reach out to that. And and, and I really, you know, respect him a lot for that.
2: Our last live show of the year, we had Bobby Nightingale, the Cincinnati Inquirer on the show. He shared some great insight into the offseason, but the most interesting thing that I took away was what he said about Nick Senzel and his future with the Reds. I
13: feel like under the radar in terms of if he stays healthy, that's the big question. Nick Senzel is like always the the first guy that comes to my mind. I mean, he's a, he, he looks good every time I watch him play in like spring training, um, the summer camp in July 2020. He, he, he looks a lot better. I mean, it's just one of those injuries just keep popping up and kind of derailing his seasons. But um, I, I know he still has a lot of supporters among the Reds front office and saying, We don't want to trade him. Uh, We still believe in him. I mean, he's a former number two pick, former top ten prospect in all of baseball. I mean, it's one of those. If he figures things out, and I I feel like Jonathan India was like that was supposed to be the Nick Senzel, what he's supposed to look like. And if he can turn into that um, in center field, especially, I mean, that that solved a lot of problems. I felt like he would have solved a lot of problems if he came back healthy last year. Um, But it's it's just one of those. If he can figure things out, I think that goes a long way for the Reds, not even just next year, but um, even the years after that. Um, and, and then probably coming up, I would say probably Dolo I mean, I, I think he's highly rated. I think everyone has high expectations for him. Um, but I'm excited to see what he does. I mean, I remember I saw him shortly after he got drafted, maybe the first month after he got drafted, and Kyle Farmer caught him in Dayton on a rehab assignment. Um, and Kyle Farmer, he was catching at the time. He was like, he, he looks like Chris Sale out there. Uh, and he kind of reminded him of Alex Wood a little bit. Was And Alex Wood was still on the team at that time and uh, was called teammate with Farmer. So, I mean, he, he gave him a lot of really high praise. And all Lodolo's done is dominate the minor leagues when he's been healthy and pitched. Um, so I, I think he could be a guy that, um, you know, second half of the season, you could really see some beginnings out of him.
2: Yeah, so kind of one of those players that uh... – everyone was super high on when he came up and they, they've kind of forgotten about him in some ways, but yeah, I mean, the red ceiling, it, it just, it shoots up so much higher. If, if, you know, they're able to get honestly, even probably just the healthy Nixon i just, who can play, you know, uh, uh, cause he can contribute in more ways than I think than just, uh, than just hitting, you know, with the speed and defense, feel free. You don't have to answer this if you don't want to Bobby. There's a lot of, a lot of, uh, chatter that the Reds and, and Sinzel aren't on good terms. Do you you don't, from what you said, do you not get that that sense that it's not maybe as bad as it's made out to be in some aspects of the world?
13: I mean, it obviously didn't go well last August. I mean, the Sinzel wanted to return. The Reds said, we don't think you're healthy um, and fit enough to play at the major league level on a daily basis, so they sent him down, and then um, Sinzel said he was still hurt, and um, ended a season on the injured list. Um, but every every time I've talked to a front office guy, I mean, it's always kind of been the same message. Like, he's still a guy we believe in. Um, we're not looking to trade him. We're not looking to, you know, we, we still think he could be our starting center fielder next year. I, I think, obviously, the injuries are kind of making it a little bit less, like, we're, we can't for sure picture him as our starting center fielder. He's going to have to come in healthy, um, kind of prove some things in spring training. But I, I don't get the sense that it's kind of like a, irreparable relationship or, um, that he wouldn't be happy playing. I mean, I think it's just, I think it was a frustrating season, frustrating injury. Um, and it just kind of played out publicly.
6: That's awesome. Yeah. If if he's healthy and and he's banging in spring training, the relationship's going to be fine. But if he's not healthy and he's not banging, the relationship's not going to be fine.
13: I, I feel like this is kind of the last, like, if things don't go well this year, if he's, if it's more injuries, If he doesn't play well, um, then maybe I I wouldn't be shocked if the Reds moved on from him. Um, But it it does feel kind of like a last straw type thing, but I I just know Reds still love his potential.
2: All right, so that wraps up our best of late night Reds Talk 2021 show. Uh, We hope that you have enjoyed this look back. On behalf of Tim and Carlos, we want to thank each and every one of you uh, who have tuned in, who have listened, who have supported, interacted, sent us questions and tweets. Uh, reviewed, subscribed, and everything and anything in between uh, for our little show. Thank you so much. We really do um, appreciate it. Uh, I know that there's a lot of Reds fans out there who have been disappointed so far in the offseason, uh, and I get that, uh, but I'm excited. I'm excited about this team and uh, some of the players that we have. I'm so excited about Jonathan India and Tyler Stevenson. Uh and just the, the, the superstar-type talent that they have. I'm excited about Hunter Green and Nick Ladolo and Jose Barrero and uh, all the other young players. And, uh, of course, I'm excited about every single remaining at-bat from Joseph Daniel Votto. Uh, I know that not everyone's going to share my same level of optimism, and, and that's okay. But uh, those who do, those who uh, want to be hopeful, those who want to believe in the Cincinnati Reds. I hope that you guys will continue to support this community, um, continue to, to to build on this. Um, Reds fans who just who just want to uh, believe and just be hopeful about this team uh, as we head into this new year. So um, I love stats. I love numbers. I love stat casts. I love wins above replacement. I love all those kind of things. But I don't ever want to forget that the reason that I'm so invested in all of this is because I love baseball and I love the Cincinnati Reds. 2022, it's going to be our year. As always, go Reds.